Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for Family Business Radio. Showcasing outstanding family businesses and the advisors who assist them. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another great episode of Family Business Radio. I'm your host, Anthony Chen. Today, we have three great power guests with us here today. We have Lee Jameson with Jameson Advising. We have Evan Zebley with The Sign Store. And we have Bruce Gaines with Kitchens, Kelly, and Gaines. So to kind of start off with, with the program, let's bring in our CPA uh, of the program, Lee Jameson with Jameson Advising. Welcome to the show, Lee. Hey, Anthony. How's it going today? Uh, doing good. Trying to Welcoming in the spring weather in, in February here in Georgia. Yeah, it's really nice. I just went for a little walkout. I just got back in from a walk outside, and it's just beautiful. Great, great, great. So kind of share with us a story of what is it that got you into accounting and finding your own practice? Yeah, it's funny. So when when I first got into accounting, um, I was a finance major back in 2008, uh, when the uh, when the we had the whole financial collapse, and um, I got out of school, and I was just completely jobless. I had no clue what I was going to do. Um, no one was hiring in the finance field, um, and so I kind of went back to the drawing board and saw that there were some opportunities in uh, in accounting. And I actually had run into one of my dad's uh, my dad's. Uh, friends and he had actually owned an accounting firm in Atlanta. And, uh, I talked to him and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to become a CPA. And so that's what I did and got a regional, uh, got a, a, uh, got my CPA license back in 2000 and, uh, I guess 2011, 2012, it's been so long. I can't even, uh, remember now, but, um, yeah, then the, the, the rest is pretty much history from there. Mm-hmm. So what got you to have the bug of going into your own practice, was it something that you had envisioned right from the start or did you join kind of a mid or larger size firm before taking that leap? Yeah, no, it's, it's something that I'd never really envisioned to be honest uh, until the last, last couple of years. Uh, when I got my start, I started out at a, a decent sized regional public accounting firm. Um, but we still dealt with, you know, very large companies for the most part. Um, and then after that, I worked for the Rollins family uh, in Atlanta. And so they're, they're one of the wealthier families in Atlanta. They, they made most of their money through Orkin, which everyone knows is a very, very large pest control company. Um, but they have several privately held businesses that they kind of, I helped manage the financial operations of those businesses. And, uh, after that, I, um, I went back kind of to corporate accounting and, um, one of the, one of my friends that I knew had started that I worked with at Rollins had started his own accounting firm. And he was like, Lee, this is what you need to be doing. Um, and, and I was like, well, I had never dealt with kind of the smaller clients cause I was dealing with really large clients. And, um, so he kind of brought me on as a contract worker and helped and kind of got to, got to understanding what he was doing for small businesses. And I was like, Hey, I, I think I can really make a business out of, out of this just because, of my experience with the Rollins family and kind of maximizing the financial operations out of a lot of their businesses that they had. And so um, my practice, that's, that's kind of how I got started in my practice. Now um, I think my background's a little bit different than maybe your normal CPA that has just done taxes or um, has just been in like uh, accounting the whole time, which, which I think helps me uh, advise my clients on a lot of different issues as well, though. So was that, the, the, the finding moment from based on your friend's suggestion to kind of go into your own practice? Was there other events that kind of accumulated over time? Yeah, definitely some that accumulated. So I, I, I started, a, I was a contract work for, worker for him. And then while I was at my corporate job, I started taking on clients and it was just one of those things. I was like, I one I would be an idiot to stay at my corporate job just from a, um, you know, a potential as, you know, I, I grow my career and things like that. Um, but also just as, as you know, you talk to business owners on this show all the time, there's nothing better than being a business owner. You can make your own schedule. You can work with who you want to work with. You can work as little or as much as you want to work and you don't have anyone to really, um, to really report to, uh, as long as you keep your clients happy. Right. So, um, really just the, the business owner entrepreneurial dream. And I had the accounting background 
and the tools that kind of uh, allowed me to, to offer the advice. And, and so I was like, I'm just going to, going to roll with it. And um, I, so I, I started out full time right when the, the pandemic hit about um, a little less than a year ago. And um, it's, it's been uh it's been an awesome ride so far um, and just, just growing and, um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next five or 10 years, but I'm excited mm-hmm. about it. So for those who have kind of been on the fence where they're kind of in your position contract work, uh, they don't have that accounting experience that, that you have and they're kind of on the fence of, well, I'm not sure if I want to jump into this full on. I mean, what is kind of your advice uh, to them that are sitting there? I mean, my advice to everyone is like, I, I, I love being uh, my own boss and I love, um, I love being a business owner but my advice to anyone is take whatever skill you have and, and create a business out of it. Um, I know you're an, you're an advisor and, you know, uh, a lot goes into that. But one of the things that I've noticed over time is, you know, a lot of people pack a lot of their wealth into, you know, 401ks and things like that. And it, it can be an excellent planning tool um, to defer taxes and things like that. But what I tell people is like when, you know, when you look at the richest people in the world and not that you perhaps want to be one of the richest people in the world, but pretty much one. I mean, there you look at the Forbes 500 list. None of those people got really wealthy out of just stacking a whole bunch of money into a 401k. Right. You can do really well and things like that uh, with that strategy. But um, it, it usually, you know, owning your own business is going to create the lifestyle that you want and um, the income potential that you want. So whatever that field is, I have a really good friend that is in the tree industry and I'm, he loves, he just loves climbing trees, but I'm like, Hey, you need to like, you need to start your own business one day. There's so much opportunity in the tree business. You can build an awesome business out of it. So that's what I would say. Now it go back to your question. It's, it's, it's taking that leap of faith, right? You've got to, you've got to kind of recognize what you want to do and then, um, and, and go for it. And part of that is, you know, as a business owner, you're typically going to take, you know, a, maybe a little bit of a hit in income that first year or so. But um, what you've got to also keep in mind is, you know, as you're building uh, revenue in your business, as you're building income in your business, not only is that like, not only are you getting the income off of that as, as a business owner, it, you're also building an asset that you could someday sell. And so that's what that's one thing that I talk to clients about that they often miss out on is like, hey, you know, not only have can you, you know, replace your income from maybe your corporate job or something like that, but you're really building an asset that you can sell later on in life and kind of works into your financial plan, if you will. Mm-hmm. So kind of going into the business world uh, as of right now with 2020 being the way it was and with new changes with the PPP program, can you give us a little uh, insight or update on what the changes are and is there any tax credits or opportunities for small businesses right now? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a really exciting area right now and a huge opportunity for, for small business owners. Um, One is there was a PPP change. It was actually yesterday. Um, I haven't been able to read up much on it right now. Um, but it looks like it's going to be really geared towards those small sole proprietors um, where it used to be that you could only get, you know, PPP funds based on your net income. They're actually going to let you get PPP funds based on your gross income. So your gross receipts, not deducting your expenses. So that could be a huge difference in, in, in the eligibility of qualifying for PPP funds. Um, At this time, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to, mix in with um, if you've already gotten PPP funds before and things like that. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see the IRS guidelines there, but the other um, thing that, that, that is out there right now is there are huge credits for businesses that have been affected by COVID in really one of two ways. They were kind of shut down by uh, a governmental entity for, uh, either a partial or full shutdown. So think of, you know, restaurants, gyms, where they were, you know, either capped membership 
uh, or cap their class size, which is would be considered a partial shutdown, or a business that just experimented um, a fairly significant drop in revenue. Those types of businesses are eligible for for some huge tax credits through a program called the employee um, employee retention credit. Um, and so that's a huge opportunity, and I think a lot of folks are missing out on that because it used to be that if you received PPP funds, you weren't eligible for that credit. But now, uh, a few weeks ago, that all changed. So even if your business was affected and, and, and you got PPP funds, you could be eligible for some really big credits. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the credit is actually worth up to $5,000 per employee. Uh, in 2020, and it's it's worth up to fourteen thousand dollars per employee in 2021. So it can rack up pretty fast. Like if you you know you've got you know six to eight employees, that's thirty forty grand just just like that in 2020. You could potentially be eligible for. So I would tell businesses definitely um, get a good understanding of what qualifies you for that. And then speak to professional on how you can maximize those credits if you think you may be eligible, um, because it's there's there's a lot of money uh, out there to to help. So kind of jumping on that question is if a business owner uh, either was not eligible or did not take advantage uh, or was not even aware about that credit, would this be would this new change be allowed them to go back retroactively to take the credit, or did they? Have to, or are they only eligible to take it from here on out? That's correct. You can actually retroactively take it in 2021. That's a good question. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, so what you have to do is you have to amend certain um, returns to, to do that, but you definitely can retroactively get it for 2021. Another thing to be aware of is based on how your entity is structured, um, there's a few different variables that go into it. There are ways to maximize uh, that credit in 2021, if you plan appropriately and things, uh, ways to maximize it are basically, you know, how you take PPP funds, um, how you apply for forgiveness to those funds. And then also there's some ways to maximize it based on how you pay yourself. So there's, there's definitely opportunities out there and it's, 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 um, it's, it's one of those things. You definitely want to have somebody look at it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, not not a DIY project at all. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely. I mean, the PPP funds were fairly simple, like to get to, um, you know, do the application. It, it wasn't overly complicated. Um, this is this is some kind of complicated stuff because how it interacts with the PPP funds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what? Being in the business world as long as you have, what what are some, kind of the most common mistakes you see uh, that small business owners make? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, a couple different things. The, the first is really trying to um, understand their cash flow and how, um, how that interacts with what their financial statements say about their business. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have a lot of clients that mention to me certain things like, you know, they look at their profit and loss statement and it says a certain dollar amount. Um, but what you have to realize is sometimes that, that, that amount can be misleading because of other things that are interacting with it. Not the, one of the easiest ones to understand there is like, let's say you buy a vehicle in one year and you, you know, expense the whole entire vehicle in, in that same year you bought it. Well, if you finance it, then you're going to be making payments on that thing on the on that vehicle for the next five to seven years, right? So you've got to be aware as a business owner, even though you made X amount on your profit and loss, the actual cash flow that the business generated would be whatever that P and L says less the payments made toward the vehicle. So that's that 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 area right there and really understanding the cash flow of the business i think is a very confusing area for for clients to kind of wrap their head around um other things that kind of will affect that are you know distributions to 
to, to partners or, or, or shareholders, um, things like that. And so that, 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 that one thing is, um, it's, it's a big missed opportunity. Sometimes I would say the other thing is, um, you know, an incorrect, um, structure in terms of, of how you're taxed. Um, I see a lot of different, uh, typically the, for smaller businesses, it either makes sense to be taxed as, um, either a sole proprietor or you could elect to be taxed as, uh, an S corporation. And I see it both ways. I, I see a lot of times where, uh, your, your tax is an LLC and you really should be taxed as an S corporation to maximize some tax benefits. But I also see it the other way around where you're an S corporation and you're, you're, you either shouldn't be an S corporation to start with, or you're just not maximizing the, um, the tax benefits and in, in its full poten- potential from the S corporation. And so what I would tell people out there is um, do a little research in that area, LLC versus S corporation. And then, if you're uh, an S, if if your tax is an S corporation, um, ask yourself: Do you have a, like an accountable plan? Uh, that's that's a type of plan that will really ensure that you're maximizing some of the tax-free benefits from an S corporation. So I would say that that's one thing out there for for owners to be aware of. So, what can a business owner do now to, or if any at all, to reduce their taxes? Because we we did touch upon, but potentially going to retroactively uh, get those tax credits. Yeah. Yes. So there's, there's uh, this time of year and it's, it's late, late February. Um, and what I tell, what I tell folks is really to be really good at strategically uh, minimizing your tax liability is you've got to plan appropriate pr- appropriately for it. Um so when when business owner comes to me and they're like, hey, Leah, I need you to prepare my 2020 taxes. Um, my response is like, typically, great, let's let's do it. But um, when you, you know when it's two months after year end, a lot of times it's hard to really come up with some good strategic ways to reduce your tax liability because it's just too late. Like what whatever's been done has been done. Um, so I would tell folks that if, if you've never done any formal tax planning with a CPA, then that is um, that can really save you uh, a ton of money in taxes. And, and typically that that type of uh, relation will, will really look it, it won't it won't just be, hey, let's prepare your taxes at the end of the year. It's it's working proactively throughout the year. Um, making sure that you as a business owner are doing certain things that you need to be doing um, to minimize your tax liability. And so I think that's the big, big thing is like, you want to make sure you're being proactive instead of uh, reactive when you're doing your, when you're doing your taxes. So kind of looking into the whole being proactive uh, on tax planning and taking as much advantage as they can, or within, of course, the, the confines of the tax code, uh, would that also provide value for businesses in terms of succession planning or for, let's say, a business owner is looking to sell out? And have you been consulted or even pulled in to say, hey, I need to fix my books because I want to sell at X price, but my books aren't showing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things I mean, when you're when you're starting to kind of plan and um, plan to sell. Uh, it's definitely one of those things you want to start looking at. You want to make sure your books are you know, extremely clean because obviously the, the financial viability of the business is the, usually the key factor of what someone is buying. Um, so it's going to be the, one of the first things that they look at is, is how profitable is the business now. Um, and then there's, there's definitely ways to structure not only the, uh, the sell of a business, on the back end, kind of the how how you get the payments afterwards, or how you're taxed after you sell. But there's also some strategic things that you can do on the front end as well. Um, just depending on a, on a lot of different factors to to really mitigate the tax liability that you may have from from a sale sell. But uh, yes, I would say like 
what you were saying is, is you definitely want to have things much more buttoned up. Um, and even, I think a lot of, a lot of the business brokers that I've, I've seen, they'll, they'll really help, uh, folks guide them along that, that path of like, Hey, you know, looking at your financial statements, this, this looks a little messy. Like maybe you need to, you know, maybe, maybe your current accountant isn't, you know, exactly doing what you need and you need to clean this up. Right. So I think a good business broker should, should really be, um, a, a really good advisor when someone is looking to, to sell, because I think t- typically they'll, they'll work with them, you know, a, a couple of years, uh, before, before the sell to make sure everything is starting to get ready. Well, to kind of close off then for business owners, we spoke about someone jumping into the business. Now we're talking about someone on the fence that are looking to sell their business. How soon should someone come reaching out to either a business broker or someone like yourself to come in and look into the books and see what improvements they need to make uh, prior to their sale or intended sale date? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think they should be working with someone, someone like myself just all the time. I mean, I, I think you need to have accurate financial statements to make good, good business decisions, right? So you can understand the cash flow of your business. Um, and then, you know, really when, obviously when, when you own a business and you want to grow and you want to, you know, that ultimately is, is a lot of times how much will depict the worth of your business is. So if you, the faster you can grow it, the more that you, you can sell that business for, um, but if you don't have a good financial uh, basis and understanding of how well you're performing, it's, it's a lot of times hard to grow, right? Because you don't have an understanding of, you know, Hey, how, like, I'll give you an example, like of, of your, um, like your advertising. So if you don't have a good understanding of how much money you're spending on advertising, how many leads that's bringing you, how much that costs per lead, and then like how much the actual value of your services are and how much you're actually making on those services, then it's going to be hard for you to grow your business. Um, so those are the numbers that you need to know and having clean and accurate financial statements will give you those numbers. If you know, if, if you know what you're, you're trying to look at. So for someone who would like help and guidance on cleaning either their books or uh, taking things into perspective on their financial health, how can they best reach out to you? Yeah, my, uh, my email address is lee at jamisonadvising.com. Um, they can also check out my website, jamisonadvising.com. There's forms there on, on how to reach out to me. But, um, but yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Lee. Thanks for having me. Okay. All right. Next guest, we have Evan Zebley with The Sign Store. Welcome to the program, Evan. Thank you very much for having me. Right. So share with us a little story of your origin stories into the sign business. Sure. Um, well, actually, uh, when I decided that I wanted to get into graphic design and services like that, it was back in around 2007, 2008. And I had the opportunity to be um, the advertising and design editor for a publishing company. Um, and I was essentially the narrow end of the funnel there where all, you know, uh, all assignments from reporters and photographers, but then also all advertising came in to me. So every book that we were putting together, whether they were weekly newspapers or monthly digestive magazines, or they were special projects or books, then I put them all together. And while I was there, my sister gave me a call and said, Hey, I've been working for the sign company for a while. The guy's looking to sell um, and we can get, you know, the entire book of business, all the equipment for X number of dollars. Do we want to try being our own bosses? I was like, yeah, let's try that. Um, and, uh, so I moved back down to uh, South Georgia where she was and where the business was located and had to real quickly learn how to make signs because, uh, she was pregnant and due like that month, I think. And Ooh. so, uh, I think I got there and I got all the equipment up and running. And then I was like, okay, so you're leaving now and I've got to fill these orders because there were orders sitting there waiting while, like when I came in. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a real crash course kind of situation, but figured it out. Um, So kind of like what we've already been talking about, knowing (laughs) what your business (laughs) is and how it runs and what your product is and all of that. It was kind of running and and doing and learning at the same time. Um, 
but uh, I learned there was a whole lot more to running a business than just producing the product um, or finding the market to sell to. There's also all the other things you have to keep in mind. Uh, the very simple matter of being honest with yourself about where is money coming from? Where is it going? Um, you know, it's, uh, there's so many misconceptions and these weird notions about, oh yeah, why don't you buy a truck? That's just a write-off. Do you understand what that term means? That doesn't mean it's a free truck. It like, come on, let this, this is money. Uh, so anyway, we, we were very fortunate in the fact that we were able to operate everything as a cash-based business. It was a very low investment. So we were paid off, you know, inside of the first month. Um, we were profitable. I think um, we raised everything um, 100% for where it was the year prior of the business. By year two, we were at 400%. Um, and then it looked like the growth was going to keep going. But um, this is where my story with the family business kind of ends is because um, I got to the point where I realized I could be a member of that business or I could be a member of my family, but I couldn't necessarily do both. Um, and I kind of looked and to my crystal ball of the future and what do I want to be, you know, years from now. And I want to be the guy that has the family and a good relationship with the family. So I decided that I needed to leave the business. Um, and that just came down to what happens with a lot of partnerships um, where you just have disagreements about how operations need to be run, you know, the distribution of, um, I guess, assignments on who needs to do what for the business, that kind of thing. Um, and when I left, I decided that I'd learned so much about the print industry that I decided to stay in it. And I took a job at uh, not too far away, a couple hours north at a place that they were a print shop. And I essentially became a pressman uh, operating, you know, uh, these really cool wide format machines that I never would have owned. If I had had my own business, I don't think I ever would have gotten to the point that I got to own these machines where, you know, flatbed CNC machines that are belt fed, and then these flatbed direct to substrate printers that each machine cost about $500,000. Um, so they were really cool, learned a whole lot. Uh, I got really into learning more about lean production and working with clients to fulfill uh, a product pipeline. So looking more, looking farther beyond what is it to make a sign and looking more into what is it to be a link in the product chain for a company. Um, and so I took that experience and kept just kind of leveling up, stayed in corporate realms, but kept kind of transitioning into other companies until I wound up at the science store. Um, and I really am enjoying it. Um, the hat that I wear here is more business development than anything else. So looking at opportunities for business growth, where do markets exist that we can put salespeople to kind of maximize our profit off of those markets and looking at what we manufacture and talking to our team and figuring out, hey, is there a better way to do this? Or, hey, why don't we sell this thing instead of that thing? We do way better on this than we do that, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's kind of how I got to where I am now. So you've been more or less on both sides of the fence from between owning the business to now you're in operating a bit a large section of the business. Can you kind of point out to our audience like what, what are the key differences uh, between both? Okay. Yeah, that's great. Um, one of the key differences that I didn't realize until after I left uh, owning a business was, okay, well, let me put it this way. When you are an employee, there's so many things in your day that you just think, man, if I ran this place, I would do it so much better, right? Like we all think that. Well, when you are that owner and then you are earnestly trying to do your best every day, you realize that there's not that much time in the day for best and best kind of thinking. Really, there's basic operations that have to happen to allow for improvement. You know, yes, I wanted things to be better, but I also still need these things to just happen so that the business can function, so that payroll can happen, so that you can receive a check, employee. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. But when I moved past owning a business, I realized there was a, I, I was still an operator but I just was not left holding the money. So um, it made some decision-making much, much easier, I found. Um, when I was owning a business, the decision about, oh, well, you know, if we want to grow, I need to hire this person or I need to get that piece of equipment, but I'm just not sure. I don't want to spend the money. So there was a lot of hesitancy on my side. When I wasn't holding the bag and I was just the operator, it was very easy for me to just look at the numbers and be like, no, we need to do this. And I know that it's my job if I don't make it work, but I'm going to make it work. 
and saw immediate results. It was, you know, increased productivity, increased margins, all of that stuff. And so it was a lot easier not, <laughs> not being the owner to produce um, like the shop really needed to produce. Um, so that was one really big difference for me. Um, I guess some of the other differences are that, you know, there's a big difference between, um, I guess the downside would be kind of the leash that you have, because really as an employee, you are part of this bigger whole organism and you have an essential function that you must perform and you must perform it in the category of your function or else potentially you're not in a good team if your role isn't defined. Um, And that's good and bad. The good parts are it allows you to do as best you can inside of your lane. Um, The bad part is that there's not a lot of latitude. It's not up to you to decide what I can or can't do. That's up to your boss. So you might see a great opportunity, but then if your boss says, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing that. Then you don't have a choice. You have to back off. That's just how it is. Um, But like with any relationship, whether it's with a business partner and you're both owners or whether it's your boss or your subordinates, your team members, keeping that open line of communication is key. That that's not necessarily a difference between owning a business and being an employee, but it is, I think, a key lesson that a lot of people don't appreciate is, you know, we all take classes about relationships in our personal lives or relationships with our parents, or we go see therapists for those sort of things. But any kind of interaction you have with somebody else on a regular basis, that's a relationship. So you need to also pay attention to your business relationships as well. They're very important. Um, at least as important as who you have waiting for you back at home. So now that you're at the science store, can you share with us a little what's attractive working at the science store? Absolutely. Um, one thing that I really like is having a lane to stick to because when you're a business owner, especially at a small business, well, you're in charge of everything. That's um, so whether you're making a product or you're scrubbing the toilets or you're worrying about the leak in the roof or how are we going to make payroll this week? um, That's all your domain. But having a lane to stick to that allows you uh, a lot less burden, uh, many fewer burdens anyway. So you're able to focus and hone in on what is it that you need to accomplish. So at the science store, I really like that I get to focus on business development. I get to focus on marketing, networking like this. Um, so that's really nice for me um, rather than as much as I want to go in the back and look at how things are made and say like, oh, yeah, we could save, you know, X number of dollars in this, this many minutes if we did it this way. It's not my job. So my job as part of this team is to make sure that I'm thinking about next year. Like, how do our jobs look next year? How do our jobs look five years from now? What, you know, what am I doing to secure retirement for those people in our company that want to stay in this company and make it to retirement? You know, it's my job to make sure there's still a business here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I enjoy that. Well, now that you've experienced both sides, uh, having worked in corporate, you've owned your business, um, kind of the somewhat succession plan where you chose family over business. And now working back, I guess, into corporate somewhat, uh, would you want to go back or seeing yourself owning uh, another business in the future? And why or why not? Yeah, actually, um, one thing that is really fun that I do enjoy with business development is I've taken the opportunity to focus on the startup and entrepreneur markets that exist, especially here where we are. Um, and with that, I see a lot of opportunities. I, I like mentoring, but then also every now and again, somebody comes across with a great idea and you think, oh man, I wish I wish I could be a part of that idea. However, I also recognize that I really like my job and I want to keep it. So I don't necessarily want to just jump off of this ship, but I do see opportunities in being um, a partner, whether it's with um, somebody eventually when I have enough money to just be the money partner. Or to look at the business operations like, hey, look, you are really great at producing that product. All you need is somebody to guide you on taking care of everything else. Let me be that person and I will help make sure all of that's set up. Um, but you know how those relationships go. There's always a discussion. Um, you know, who's taking care of what and when and how, uh, and then making sure that everybody um is, I guess, amicable to it because you never want to feel like you're being taken advantage of. And also you don't want to take advantage of somebody else. You don't want them feeling like that. That that would is not the right, uh, I guess, makes you for a good partnership. 
Um, so I guess my general answer is <laughs> I like my job. I want to keep it. But if there are opportunities out there that I can do at the same time, I probably will. Well, then jumping on to the personal note of you learning the lessons, having, again, playing on both sides of the fence, uh, what would be your advice to those who are in a similar situation as you were years ago in a family business where just they have to make that choice of do I stick preserving the family or stick preserving the business? What was kind of the key moments that played out where you that kind of pushed you in making the decision that you did? Yeah. Um, so I took too many things for granted. I assumed too much about uh, relationships and what people were thinking. The communication wasn't good enough and it led to a, a point of detriment. Um, but even more than that, I think that too many times people are not assessing their motives correctly when they're looking at why do they want to have their own business. Um, I see, uh, just as was mentioned earlier, that there are opportunities that somebody's really good at what they do and they could make their own business at it. But here's the thing to remember too, is how will that change your life? Um, and you really need to talk to mentors, somebody that's already done it before to tell you about all the things that will change in your life so that you can look at it less of through, um, the gap, the grass being greener on the other side of the road, go ahead and stand in that lawn and somebody else's lawn and look at it and know, how is it really? Because to me, um, so a core goal for any human being should be to live a life that they enjoy. So if you don't enjoy your life now and you think that owning your own business will get you there. Great. If you look at somebody else that owns their own business and then you think, Oh man, I never want to be that person. Then don't go start your own business. Don't do it. Just do whatever you think is going to work out best for your life and for your situation. Um, for me, my motivation was always growth. I always wanted to do better. I want to be number one. I want to go as hard as I can at whatever it is. Um, and so that's another thing that I enjoy about working for the sign store is that it is an established company. I don't know how long it would have taken me to get to 50 or 40 employees on my own, but now I get to skip all those steps. Now I am in that position and I get to do almost what I would want to do in my own company anyway. So it's just to each their own, but I would definitely look at what is the source of joy in your life? And do you think that owning a business is going to bring you that joy. Great. Well, thank you for your insights. So how best can someone find out whether do we want to produce their own signs or some yeah. insights from Evan? How can they best reach out to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, anybody can just go to sign store Macon. That's M-A-C-O-N. That's the town that we're in. So sign store They can also reach out to me um, in social media. I'm Evan Zebley. I am the only one in the world that's Evan Zebley. I promise you'll find me. Um, and then even if you're a small sign shop owner and you're looking on how to make larger signs, we wholesale. <laughs> That's, I mean, we'll help you out however we can. Great. Well, thank you, Evan. Thank you. Now to kind of close off our program, we have Bruce Gaines with Kitchens, Kelly and Gaines. We've talked about starting businesses, succession planning. So talking about mentorship and, and kind of now being the advisor, having seen all of this, Bruce, share us a little story. What got you into business and estate planning law? Well, actually, I started out um, after I graduated from law school. Uh, I took a job. I thought I would be a litigator, actually, and uh, I thought I would do business litigation. I like getting up and talking in front of people. Uh, but uh, I had an opportunity. Uh, there was a national CPA firm, and the head of the tax department had graduated Emory Law School uh, several years before I had graduated there. And uh, he was looking for an attorney to be in the tax department. He liked hiring attorneys because I think he uh, had a big ego and, and uh, the auditors were hiring mere undergraduates. And, and uh, this uh, kind of fit his, his way of doing things. So he hired me, uh, although I really didn't know a whole lot about accounting. I had, had some basic accounting courses. But uh, he really hired me to do uh, tax research, to fight with the IRS, to uh, do things that uh, the the uh, CPAs in the tax department were not doing. And so they were preparing tax returns. I was uh, doing estate planning and, and doing the type of tax returns that they were not ordinarily uh, doing that weren't routine for them, that weren't routine for, for that matter for the, for the department. 
And I figured that that would be a good background for business litigation uh, to be able to understand financial statements and taxes. And and, uh, that was correct. But I decided, uh, as I had kind of planned, that I really didn't want to spend my life in uh, the CPA world. I wanted to practice law. And uh, again, I thought when I would leave, when I left, I thought I would uh, litigate. But I found that the amount of time I spent with people as a litigator was relatively small to the amount when compared to the amount of time I spent with with people and doing things like uh, planning for their business or estate planning, uh, because I, I would sit in front of people and talk to them about uh, everything they've been able to accumulate in a lifetime and the people they love the most, and uh, that was very gratifying. And I actually found that I enjoyed the estate planning side and the and the planning for business side better than I enjoyed the the litigation. So quite early in my career, um, I, I, I uh, decided to move from litigation to, to business transactions. And I, re- I retired with a, uh, with an undefeated one and O record in, in uh, jury trials. So uh, that's how I, that's how I got to where I, where I, uh, I am. I left the CPA firm and decided uh, that I wanted to practice law. Uh, I, my, my, uh, just married my my wife at that point, and we were talking about buying a house. And we, I said, you know, if I leave the CPA firm and get a job with a law firm, I'll have a salary of X, and that'll be great for buying a house. But at some point, I really want to run my own law firm. And uh, she had the wisdom to say, you know, I've got a really good job. I can put vegetables on the table. Let's defer buying the house. You go out and start your practice, and we'll worry about getting a house later. Wow, that's, that's quite a power team. I, yeah. I hung my shingle with a friend of mine, just renting space from him. Did that for a couple of years. And then um, a friend of mine from law school said, hey, let's let's form our own law firm. Mm-hmm. That's how it happened. Wow. That, that was quite the investment in wisdom uh, on your wife's part. It was. It was. She's always been smarter than me. <laughs> so, so she's the actual partner. Yeah, that's the right. She's definitely the firm. actual partner. Mm-hmm. So looking into the future, now, now you've kind of experienced both going into the business, running your own practice, and being advisors for other business owners. How far in advance should a business owner even begin thinking or planning for the sale of their business? Okay. So, um, you know, jumping jumping from forming their own business, uh, which uh, I, I will comment that when I was young and idealistic, I thought that all my clients could, you know, if they had a skill, they could open up their own business and succeed, which in theory is correct, but uh, having seen what the decisions that clients sometimes make or the the uh, intolerance for making those tough decisions um, that, you know, I, I've, I've gained the wisdom of, of realizing that really owning an own, your own business is not for everybody. But for those who have gone into business, who have a business that's established, they are going to pass it on one way or the other. They're going to close it. They're going to gift it away to family members. They're going to uh, sell it to somebody else. Any of those are all are, are possibilities. And when they start thinking in those terms, they probably ought to uh, at least give a thought five years out to what shape, kind of shape is my business in? And do I need to do things that will put it in a position that it is saleable <coughs> or can be passed on to family members. So, you know, maybe they have to go out and hire somebody like Evan to um, uh, uh, buttress their sales and marketing so that they've in fact got a business that uh, is driving revenue, that's increasing revenue, that becomes desirable for people to to um, to buy. Uh, they may need to uh, look at their financial statements and see if they need to get somebody like Lee involved because if their financial statements are not very good, again, their business is not going to present very well. So they need to consider that. Um, they need to figure out what do they need to do to reduce expenses. Again, what they want to do is they want to make their business as attractive as possible. And that's not something you can necessarily do overnight. Mm-hmm. So looking further out ahead, um, other than consideration of the industry where we are in 2021, um, what other factors are there that makes this year a particularly good or bad time to uh, buy or sell a business? I would consider this to be an extreme uh, point in time, just economically, when you look at 
uh, what's happened to our economy over the last year. When you look at uh, the um, last 20 years of, of uh, uh, U.S. Uh, budget deficits uh, and the um, re- really the, the, in 2020, uh, our budget deficit was twice that of, of uh, Obama's first year in office, which was in the middle of the Great Recession. And so we've got these mounting deficits and uh, we've got a, an administration and a Congress and Senate that are probably willing to say, well, we need to, we can't, we, we're going to have to stop the spending at some point and we're going to have to start uh, increasing U.S. income. And how do we increase U.S. income? We generally increase U.S. income by raising taxes. And so I think that is a, that's a train coming down the track that everybody can see that uh, you have to be in extreme denial to uh, fail to notice that. And you have to count on the fact that there's probably going to be increases in taxes, both estate and gift taxes, income taxes, social security taxes, all of these things. There uh, is a a reasonably good possibility. There may be uh, increases in um, the minimum wage. And so all of these are factors that people need to think about. We, as I say, right at this very moment, we are at a point in time when interest rates are really, really low. Uh, that may make it desirable for people to come in and buy your business because they can go out and borrow the money um, for a relatively low interest rate. It may be a really good time to gift the um, uh, uh, some of your ownership interest to family members. This is a this is a terrific opportunity. And when I say terrific opportunity, uh, the IRS uh, has minimum interest rate calculations that they call the applicable federal rate. And the applicable federal rate for short term loans is is twelve one hundredths of one percent for February. They've already come out with Marches, and that's eleven one hundredths of one percent. But uh, this morning on the news, I was hearing that that the uh, 10-year T-bill is going up, which means the AFR rates are going to go up. So, uh, you know, if you want to do something, do it now and and take advantage of the current tax and financial situation to figure out, is this the best time to gift it? Is this the best time to sell? It may, it may be the worst time to sell, in which case you just have to say, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for things to turn around. So since we're kind of touching on both the gifting and attack side, um, based on what we know now, what is for a business owner who is not tax savvy, how could you kind of break it down in terms of what these changes are going to do in terms of impacting their future sale of the business? Well, uh, from a sales standpoint, mm-hmm. um, Increased capital gains rates uh, are going to mean that the sale of a business is likely to result in much higher taxes for the seller. Um, the um, uh, for for somebody who is gifting assets now, as I say, this may be a really terrific opportunity to gift business assets because uh, valuations uh for many businesses are low. Now there are, you know, there's some businesses that have done really well uh even during COVID and and those businesses are going to appear to buyers as being extremely strong businesses if they've been able to do well in the toughest of times. So again, it's a business by business determination based upon your industry, based upon your your particular company. And so uh, uh you know you, you just need to assess where you and your business are uh, in terms of your own life and in terms of the business's life and make a determination with the, certainly the help of, of folks like Lee and myself. Uh, you know, there, there are people out there to help you decide these things. There are people out there, and this is not something that I do, uh, but, but there are people out there who help uh, business owners decide what's the best strategy for selling your business? Is this the right time? Do you have all of the elements in place in order to to make a successful sale of your business? So since we're also um, on the sale or gifting, particularly when it comes to family-oriented business, where there's one or two child are very involved and the parents are now kind of put in a position, well, I eventually I need to hand the keys over. Is there alternatives other than just an outright sale or gift of the business ownership to the child? 
Yes, yes. Depending upon the type of business it is, uh, there are several things that we can do to uh, minimize or maybe even eliminate the cost of transferring the business to the next generation. And I'm not talking about things that are are, uh, as they say, bleeding edge. I mean, these are not things that are controversial. These are things that are uh, out there that are tried and true. There are ways of uh, making gifts of business interests in trusts, particular types of trusts. There are ways, uh, and this is gets to be rather sophisticated, but there are ways that we can set up sales of businesses to trusts that are not treated as sales for capital gains purposes, but the beneficiaries of trusts end up being the next generation. And in a transaction like that with with the right business, um, you can essentially transfer the business uh, completely tax-free or nearly Mm tax-free. For the businesses that are where the family members or the kids just don't want anything to do with it, uh, not involved, what legal documents they should prepare or review before even thinking about putting the company to market? Well, I think in a situation where you may have some family members in the business and some family members out of the business, um, the first thing you need to recognize is that uh, you may have really given um, a step up or maybe giving a step up, even if you hold the business for the rest of your lifetime. And, uh, you know, you need to figure out how you're going to organize your uh, will and, and trust so that you treat your, your family the way you want them to. And for most of my clients, that means treating everybody more or less equivalently, although not equally, because they, the person in the business, they want to own the stock in the business. Uh, the person who's not in the business, they may want to transfer real estate uh, that owns the building that, uh, that uh, houses the business. They may want to transfer that to the, to the other child. Uh, there are ways of dealing with this using insurance. Um, there, are, there are many, many, many ways, and you have to look at each situation uniquely and make a determination as to what is what is going to work best. In addition, uh, particularly when you've got family members, it's really important to think about how um, what's going to happen when when the patriarch or matriarch is out of the business, because frankly, that's frequently the glue that keeps the family together. And once that person is is out of sight, then the wars start to happen. And uh, in order to avoid that, uh, there needs to be a lot of evaluation and analysis and agreements that deal with how is this this company going to be run if and when the owner of the business, the, the main owner of the business, is out of the picture. Who's going to have what position? Uh, who's going to have uh, which ownership interests? Uh, what's everybody's role going to be? And if if the person who owns the business, the, 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 the patriarch or matriarch, Uh, is it takes a proactive approach to this, then they can have their hand in determining how the the, uh, business is going to function in the next generation. What are the reasonable expectations that they have of everybody? And there ought to be a great discussion and agreement on how that's going to happen. If that occurs, then there's a far greater likelihood that this business will succeed to the next generation and maybe even the next one after that. Uh, So you want to have shareholder agreements or operating agreements in place. Also, not every business is is, uh, manned or womaned by uh, family members. So key employees need to have employment agreements that lock them in so that they don't become competitors of the business after the the, um, uh, owner leaves. Uh, you want to make sure that there are non-disclosure agreements so that company secrets don't get spread around. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, that um, and this is this is something in particular for sales of business and businesses, not just not just gifts of business businesses. You want to make sure that you've done an adequate job, a good job, actually, of, of protecting your trademarks and intellectual property. Because that is something that if you haven't locked that down, somebody else can take away and drain the entire value of your business. Uh, So those are the many things that you want to think about. You want to think about what kind of contracts do I have? What kind of contracts do I need?
And I imagine from everything that you've just listed off, it's really just scratching the tip of the iceberg. This is not something a business owner should try to venture into going online and figure out for themselves on Google. It's not, you know, thing, I find that things that you're doing once in a lifetime are not things that you want to do it yourself with. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are people out there who specialize in it. Uh, You're not going to, by the time you spend your time learning enough, uh, you could have paid for several times over the expertise that's readily available out there. And you're probably not going to do as good a job as they could have done. Mm-hmm. Kind of closing into talking about selling the business. And now we're with the patriarch or the matriarch kind of deciding what direction, uh, who's going to be the deciding uh, successor going forward. What are the advantages is it, or is there still any favorable tax laws uh, for the owner to go through that process and still retain some form of full ownership of the business? Well, uh, there are there are a lot of lessons that I've learned uh, uh, from watching my smartest clients. Uh, and uh, when they set up their business to sell it, uh, the, the really smart ones, the ones who really realized that nobody really could operate the business as well as they could, uh, they frequently maintained control, one, to help the business and help perhaps the next generation make sure that the business is successful because many of my clients are as concerned about their employees who have spent a lifetime in their business, helping them build the business as they are about uh, making money. And so they want to make sure that the business is successful. Uh, Other situations, I had a, I had a situation where a publicly traded client, a publicly traded company approached my client and wanted to buy them out, buy out my client, but they couldn't agree on purchase price. So they structured an earnout, and uh, my client. Uh, that an earnout is you the amount you receive for the sale proceeds is a function of how well the business does after you've uh, after the sale has occurred. And he was smart enough to structure this in a way because he knew that nobody could run the business as well as he could. That he needed to maintain control because if he lost control during this earnout period, the company would never earn as much as it really potentially could. And so he maintained control uh, through stock uh, arrangements and maintaining the CEO position of the company uh, for the full five years of his earnout. Within a year after he left, the company went from a highly profitable company to one that was losing a million dollars a month. And so he was really smart to have done that. And so, you know, a lot of times the way you structure a business is got to be uh, uh, smart and has got to take, take advantage of the experiences that people have had with respect to uh, these kind of sales and even, even gifting. You know, again, it, sometimes you want to maintain control. Um, and, and frequently what we do is we may give away. If we're going to do a gifting program, we may create a second tier of non-voting stock, give that away first. Uh, not only does it not take control away from the from the original owner, but it can also uh, give us a position for reducing the value of the gifted uh, stock so that there's uh, less paid in the way of gift or estate tax. Right. Well, that's, again, as I mentioned, it's, it feels like we're really just scratching the tip of the iceberg. Okay? This is def- absolutely not something someone should try themselves. <laughs> There, there are a lot of tools out there that can legally be used to uh, reduce or eliminate the taxes, and people just need to be aware of what they are before they venture into these. And the best way to do that is to hire people with expertise. So for our listeners who don't want to pursue their own law degree, but rather use your expertise where you've already seen it all, I, I would imagine almost all of it, uh, how best can they reach you, Bruce? Well, I've seen a lot. I won't say I've seen it all. So the the best way to reach me is uh, either on my uh, phone, which is 404-514-4817. That's 404-514-4817. Or they can uh, email me at uh, bgains at kkgpc.com. And I'll do that slowly. That's B as in boy, G as in girl, A as in apple, Y as in yes. N as in no, E as in east, S as in south, at KKGPC stands for Kitchens Kelly Gaines Professional Corporation.com. Well, thank you, Bruce. Thank you. 
So we're closing out our program with a quick change. I'll be asking our three guests uh, one universal question and giving them some time to think it over before putting them all on the spot. So I'll be re- uh, so the question for our three wonderful guests are: having experienced either oneself going through creating a business, leaving the business, or being a mentor and advisor to other businesses, having going through the whole process. What is one or two key le- lessons that you see very common that differentiates a successful business owner and a not so great successful business owner? So we'll give them time to mull it over. And as, of course, for my little bit of a disclosure, uh, this show is sponsored and brought to you truly by myself, Anthony Chen, with Lighthouse Financial Network, securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., RAA, member of FINRA SIPC. RAA is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services referenced here are independent of RAA. Our main office address is at 575 Broad Hollow Road at Melville, New York, 11747. Uh, you can best reach me at 631-465-9090. Uh, my extension is 5075. Or my email, which is just my phone name, Anthony Chen, last name spelled C H. E N at L F N L L C dot com. That is uh, Larry Frank Nancy Larry Larry Charlie dot com. So bringing in our three guests coming back again. Question is based on of your experience. What are the key signs or harmonics that you observe from your experience that differentiates a great business owner with a not so great business owner? You want to ask, ask one of us first, or should, uh, uh, should I jump into this? Uh, you can ju- you could jump I'll right jump in. You volunteered in. yourself. <laughs> so I think the I think the first thing, the, the most important thing, you know, to, to put it, bring it down to one word is listening. Uh, they need to listen to their employees because their employees know an awful lot about how their business run, runs and whether it's running well or running not well or could be improved upon. And uh, frequently, that takes soliciting the 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 opinions of the employees not just waiting for them to come to the the employer a lot of times employers just don't have the um uh, self-awareness to realize how intimidated their employees really are sometimes about talking to the business owner they don't want to bring up bad news etc so the employer really should seek out that kind of advice from their employees They also should be listening very, very carefully to their customers. Their customers will tell them uh, how well they're doing or if they're not doing what they should be going with, what products or services they should be offering or not offering. Listen to them, see where, where they are asking, what they're asking questions about and try to fulfill their needs in advance. Uh, Another thing that they ought to do is they ought to listen to their advisors. Uh, They, the advisors come with, with expertise They, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they listen to, or they do everything their advisors say, but they ought to seek out that expertise because it's there and take advantage of it. And then lastly, they ought to listen to themselves. They ought to think about themselves, about what sort of creative things they can do in order to improve their businesses and listen to themselves. Don't be afraid of taking chances as long as the chances are not business wreckers, but they are, they are moderated. That's that's what I'm I'm thinking is they just need to listen. Great. Well, thank you, Bruce. So I, I think that the whole employee bit kind of segues perfectly to Evan. So Evan, you might not have to ask the owners to listen to this episode. No, I, I agree very much with that statement um, that listening is very important um, and plenty of anecdotes to go along with that. But um, I deal and interact many times with smaller businesses that are whether they're you know two employees or 30 employees they're generally uh sole proprietorships they are as in that they're just one person in charge they're family kind of business um and something that seems to be overlooked a lot is um listening and looking to uh this will be a good segue uh at the numbers just literally like if your numbers are entered correctly, that you're not fluffing things here and there, that you're not thinking, oh, well, this expense was actually less than that. Or, oh, you know what? This sold for more than that. If your numbers are real, you need to look at those. You need to 
we all want to feel like we're successful. Some people do that by buying things. Some people do that in payroll. Some people, however, but you need to be honest with yourself about the performance of what's going on. Um, yes, you can listen to that. And then uh, that definitely is a huge, great thing to do. Uh, the other thing is like, look. So I guess that leaves us what we've got uh, listen and look. So the next thing is what? Are we going to taste how we're how <laughs> yeah, to do we'll, right? we'll close this out, Lee. We went from uh, to, to listening to now the numbers. So that, that's on your field, Lee. I, I was actually, I, I don't know if I can change it on the spot here, but I was actually going to say uh, perseverance. Um, I think when you start, oh, I know when you start your own business, um, as Bruce can probably attest to this when he started his own law firm. Um, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, go after business and people are going to turn you down and it's just, you got to roll, roll with the punches, even though, you know, deep down inside, like you can probably do amazing things for that business and that their current, uh, person that they're using for whatever is probably not doing that good of a job. Um, and you could do better. But the fact of the matter is you're just not going to win them all. And that can be sometimes it, it can be a little defeating sometimes. And so I just I think you have to you have to roll with the punches. And um, and there's there's plenty of clients out there uh, that that really need what you sell. And uh, you just got to recognize that. And um, if you keep doing a good job for your clients, then then word word will spread and everything will will take care of itself. But um, when you first start out, it, it can be it can be tough from just uh, not having any clients and uh, you, you somewhat fake it till you make it, right? Um, so that's 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 what I would my my advice would be. Well, thank you. So we've got listen, look, and perseverance or or grit. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for coming into the program. And listeners, uh, you've got the word here. Thank you for listening. Until next time at Family Business Radio.